Amen, amen. Thank you for your giving. I was just at Meyer the other day, and I noticed they have us uh, listed as Portage, Assembly of, Portage First Assembly of God. So if you're wondering if we've changed our name, we have not changed our name. But um, I, I love the fact that Meyer is getting behind this, that you're getting behind it. You can pick up one of those cards after service. And we'll try to remind you at the very end. But I love the fact that if you donate $10 through that, our pantry gets $30. I think that's a tremendous, tremendous deal. If you have your Bibles, go to the book of, uh, go to the book of Ephesians. Uh, we're going to end up in uh, Genesis like we did last week. But uh, I've got some illustrations I'm trying to get sorted out here. Um, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. I'm going to read to you out of the, the NIV. Uh, I grew up on the NIV. Uh, actually, I should say I grew up on the King James. And uh, if you uh, grew up with the King James Bible, uh, you've got a lot of these and thous memorized. I will admit that whenever I read the Psalms or when I've memorized the Psalms, it's always in the King James Version. Um, then my dad bought me an NIV, and I'm like, oh, I feel like I got resaved because I can actually understand things a little bit better. Um, Ephesians 4, verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Tap your neighbor says, that means you. Nobody listened. But all, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for the building up of others according to their needs, that it may be, benefit those who listen. Very, very simple verse, a very powerful verse, and one that I hope will really transform hearts and challenge us today. Let's pray. Lord, from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, your name is to be praised. And we thank you for opportunities to celebrate you, to honor you, to learn from your scriptures, and to let your spirit transform our hearts. And so, Lord, as we talk about communication today, Lord, I pray that, if anything, we would just hear you. That we would sense your leading that you would show us how to be better communicators with you, with our spouses, and with the people around us, God, that we would see health and vitality rise up, God. We just thank you for this gorgeous day, and Lord, I do thank you that football season's coming soon. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, a husband read an article to his wife. <laughs> it's always dangerous when you start off a story like that. But he's reading the article to his wife that made the statement that said, that women use 30,000 words a day and men use 15,000 words a day. He says, do you believe that? She says, absolutely, because we have to repeat ourselves all the time. <laughs> For which he says, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> I, I thought it was way funnier than what that really was. <laughs> Let's be real. Um, today I want to focus on what I feel is one of the most crucial things in marriage and relationships. I think it is, outside of Christ, the most crucial aspect of marriage. It is the catalyst to a healthy relationship because without it being dealt with in a very healthy way, it is deadly, it is, it is destructive. In fact, I was looking at a statistic the other day that 86% of marriages fail because of a lack of communication. 86%. 
Now, some people are thinking, well, what about adultery? Or what about abuse? Those are some of the excuses, but this is what I've discovered over 25 years of ministry, working with parents of teenagers, working with, the, with marriages themselves, doing premarital counseling, marriage counseling. I've discovered that that is as accurate as it can get. In fact, normally when pastors talk to me about marriage ministry, they'll say, what's the number one thing that you want to make sure people understand? I always say it's communication because of all of the people that come to my office for marriage help, I can say conservatively 85% of it is communication issues. Pastor, we've got financial issues. We've got um, conflict resolution. We've got issues with the in-laws. We've got issues with the outlaws. We've got issues with some other laws. We've got um, issues with sexuality. We've got issues with friendships and boundaries. And usually I could trace all of it, all of it, if not a majority, vast majority of it, to communication issues. We want deep intimacy in marriage. I want deep intimacy in marriage. Nobody wants it in the house today. But let me make a statement this morning when it comes to communication and intimacy. Intimacy starts above the waist. Intimacy. Thank you. Hallelujah. I got one charismatic in the house today. Um, Intimacy starts above the waist. It starts with learning how to listen and learning how to talk. Pastor Dave, we talk all of the time. But I'm here to say that you can have a marriage that talks all the time, but they don't communicate well. There's a difference. How many of you, you're married to a talker? Point to them right now. <laughs> I got Stephen and Heather over here pointing at each other. Uh, if, you have, if you're an extrovert and you married an extrovert, Lord help you. <laughs> but let's be real. If you're an introvert who married an introvert, how does anything get done? <laughs> My wife and I married a super extrovert. She married a super introvert. And somewhere in 24 years of marriage, we have flip-flops to the point where we go into a store. She goes, you realize you don't have to talk to anybody in here. I'm like, I don't? <laughs> i got to make somebody smile. She's like, you don't have to make people smile. That's creepy. <laughs> we... We have these talks all the time. But when we look at Genesis, we see the beauty of Genesis chapter 2. We read you a lot of Genesis chapter 2 last week. And what I love is it's the beauty of creation that God looked and said, man, he, he, by himself, it just, he, he needs companionship. And when he sought for companionship, the scripture says that he looked around and couldn't find companionship, and yet he had animals around him, but even the animals couldn't provide that which a human being could provide. And so he said, there's no suitable helper. I will make a helpmate. And we talked about that word helpmate last week. So when God made woman as a helpmate, that word helpmate does not mean subordinate, does not mean assistant, does not mean second to. It is the idea that when God gave man a helper, he gave man a woman to help to do what? To dominate the earth, to tend to the earth. In other words, God gave a woman to give to a man as they could be two becoming one and do what he could not do on his own. I love that explanation in the Greek, that she was so essential that the task at hand, Adam could not, could not do it by himself. The helper, it wasn't about assisting man. It was about coming alongside, and the two were equal, becoming one, and dominating, and taking that which God had created, and making it beautiful. And I love that word helper, because it's the same word that Jesus used of the Holy Spirit in the Gospels, that, he, that Jesus says, I'm going to go away, but it's going to be okay, because I'm going to send you a 
helper, and that helper is not going to be subordinate to you. He is going to come with you, and he's going to help you do what you cannot do on your own. I love that connection of the Holy Spirit and our wives. Man, why do you listen to your wife? She listens to the Holy Spirit. Dudes, that was a great time to amen. We got a lot of work to do today. Goodness gracious. So we get to the end of Genesis chapter 2, and that's where humanity, man begins to sing over his wife, flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone. This is a poem. It is a song. He is singing over his wife. Men, you want to really turn your wives on, sing over them any song that you want. When a man loves a woman, uh, ice, ice, baby, I don't care what it is. Sing something. She will love it. Possibly. And so the song is sung, and then God jumps into that song, and he begins to sing into it, saying, for this reason, man shall leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife. We'll talk about cleaving next week. Hallelujah. That's Father's Day present for everybody. So we're going to talk about sex. And next week, men, we're going to give out free ice-cold dad's root beers for all of you. So get to enjoy some dad's root beers. But God sings this song, and the two become one, and we have marriage. And it would be wonderful if that's where we stop because we've got these two people come together as one. And they have this, they have a life that's centered around God. It is centered about the relationship, centered around responsibilities in the garden, centered around, centered around sexuality and connectedness, centered around family. And that's where we wish the story would stop. But then comes Genesis chapter 3 and the issue of sin coming into humanity. And what we see, and we talked about last week, immediately sin attacks the marriage. What God had built up, sin wanted to break up. And one of the aspects of the attack of sin was to begin to break down the communication between humanity. Because before, in Genesis chapter 2, it said that they were naked and unafraid. Now, y'all giggled last week when I said, I want every one of you to be naked and unafraid. And what I mean by that, because some of you have gone into weird, weird things right now, I'm here to say that the idea of man and woman were naked, it was more than physical nakedness that was there. They were naked emotionally, mentally, spiritually. In other words, there was complete vulnerability between humanity and divinity and humanity to, to humanity. It was openness, vulnerability. And so before sin, they had Naked and unashamed, what you see is what you get. I could be open with you. I could share with you. I could be me with you. And that was between us and God and us with each other. And when sin came in, we went into blame. We went into accusatory type of verbiage. We began to attack each other, and we began to attack God. Communication broke down, and we saw the marriage break down. I love this quote by Gary, Sm Gary Chapman. He says this, Communication is basically an act of the will, not a matter of personality. Well, pastor, she's the talker. Well, pastor, he's the talker. Let me tell you this. The idea of communication does not fall on one person's shoulders in the marriage. It can't fall on one person's shoulders. You both are gifted with the gift of, my dad would say, the gift of gab. You've got it there. It's within you. But for some reason, we make marriage, and we make specifically communication in marriage, all about the personality. Well, 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 this one's the spiritual one. This one's the talker. This one's this. And listen, I'm not saying that you both are going to talk on the same level. Some of you are going to use more words than the other person. But nevertheless, the idea of communication in marriage, it is not based on your personality. It's a base on an act of the will. If you want to be a good communicator in marriage, it is you have to act and to will it. 
You've got to make it happen. And why? What happens is many of us have never allowed our marriage communication to evolve. Now, there is a way that we communicated as kids, and my bet is that there are a few generations here that have never done this. I had this type of communication growing up. How many do not know what this is? I got a few people who don't know what this is. When we were kids, we were told that if you tied two tin cans together and you put the string taut, that you can talk in one end and you can, your friend can hear you on the other side. So if you've ever seen old cartoons of people talking in tin cans, this is what it means. And so this is why it was so stupid. I mean, as kids, we're not always the brightest people in the world. And so we would, uh, would stand apart from each other like this. Can you hear me? I can hear you. The reality is you're so close to each other, sound travels, and you're like, it works. And so that's what we, we did for a while. Then... Now, there's somebody on my staff that, at, that admitted to me they don't know how this works. <laughs> All right, in Bible college, my friend and I, we were, he was driving me to work, and we got in an argument. I, I feel like an idiot for admitting this. We were arguing over the true identity of the white Power Ranger. That, no joke. We were literally in an argument. So stupid. And we're yelling back and forth. It's raining. And all of a sudden, I'm like, Jay, look ahead. And he hydroplaned into a car, which hit another car. And the car behind us hit it. We literally had a three-car pile up over the white Power Ranger. For real. And so we got this, the cars are all crunched together, and he, he gets out of the car, he goes, I need to call somebody, and guess what we didn't have back in 90, 1994? Yeah. And so there's a house right there, and so he runs into the house, and after five minutes he comes out, he goes, I don't know how to work the phone. I'm like, what are you talking about? He says, come in here, you got to see this thing. And he picks it up, he goes, hold this to your ear. When I put my fingers in, there's no beeps. I'm like, where did you grow up? I'm like, you rich kids and your, your fancy phones. I'm like, listen, you put this up to your ear, and if the first number is nine, guess what you do? You put it here, and you twist it all the way to the silver, and that's number nine. Some of you who have never seen this, you're thinking, how in the world did you people make it through the Stone Age? <laughs> but do you remember when your parents got the extending line where you can walk 20 to 30 feet? Revival hit the home because now you could talk to your girl and you'd be like, hold on, I need some privacy. And you would make it stretch all the way into your room and you would shut the door. And the dad would walk by getting decapitated by the line hanging out. You all remember that? Oh, man, that was a revival hit our house when that day happened. Then, one of the best inventions, the cordless phone. Oh, man, where if I could tell my dad was listening to what I was talking, to what I was saying, I'd go outside and I would sit on our steps and our porch, but I lived in a, in a mobile home so they could still hear through the wall. So, but you just walk around or in Bible college. We wanted to buy the best of the best phones because we couldn't have TVs in our room. So we had a TV room at the end of the hall. For some reason, that was more Christian to have it in one room. And so we'd all get these phones and we would sit there. That way we didn't, couldn't miss a call from our girlfriends or from our parents, or quite frankly, we wanted to order pizza from the TV room. And that's what we did. Cordless, this was the best technology. And then obviously we evolved to these contraptions. Contraptions, how old am I? <laughs> and 
and we look at this, we've got this weird evolution of communication. We've got from tin cans to corded home phones to cordless phones to phones that is there at our every beck and call. And, but when it comes to communication and marriage, this is what I find with couples. It's, what it's meant to happen in your life and in your relationship. You're actually meant to not just be in communication with your spouse. You're actually meant to grow in communication with your spouse. And I get couples that are coming to me 20 years in the marriage, 30 years in the marriage, 40 years in the marriage, and they're talking about how there's no connection. And one of the reasons why is they're still living back here. They're still using tin cans. Well, this is the way we communicated back when we were 18. And my question is, are you still 18? Are you still 20? What's your spouse's love language? Well, this is what it was. Have you changed since then? Well, of course I've changed. You think your spouse has changed? Ann and I got married. I should say, before we got married, do you know how we communicated? We wrote letters. We were 900 miles away. I'm in Missouri. She's in Michigan. And she would write me three to four letters a day, put it in one envelope, and it would show up, and I would read multiple letters. I would write her once. And I, I did not, not never. <laughs> Every couple weeks I would write. And the reason why is a phone call. Some of y'all don't understand that back in the day, if you had to dial the area code, that was a long-distance call. That call. I had 15 minutes from 12 to 12.15 every Saturday. That's when I called her. 15 minutes because it's all I could afford. It's literally all that I could afford. And that's how we communicated. But I'll tell you this. That once, we, once she came to Bible college, obviously communication changed. When we left Bible college, got engaged, and the year after that got married— communication changed. When we first got married, our love languages, mine was um, physical touch, words of affirmation, I would say quality time. Hers was physical touch, um, quality time, and maybe, maybe acts of service. And through the years, we have trans transitioned through so many different seasons to the point where my love languages are still touch me, talk to me, spend time with me. And Anne's love languages are now buy me stuff, do stuff for me, and go, go to places with me. She has gone to the three most expensive love languages imaginable. <laughs> Lord, we need revival. <laughs> See, communication seems high in the beginning. But the reality is, when we first get married, communication seems to be a little bit more surfacey, A little more flowery. A little... It's not as much depth. I'm not trying to demean where some of you may, might be at right now. I've got some newlyweds in the house who've been married a couple years. But the longer you're married, you're, you're actually meant to go through a, a communication curriculum where marriage not just grows, you just don't grow, but our communication begins to change because it begins to take on different forms. It begins to understand different, different types of communication. Because most of us, our communication principles in when we first get to marriage came from our parents. And what ends up happening is if we don't evolve and allow communication begin to grow and begin to change a little bit, those communication parenting things stick with us, and all we do is we pass that on to them rather than understanding that when you got married, you did not marry your parents. Someone say hallelujah. Goodness gracious. 
And at the same time, some of us still communicate because that's all we were exposed to, it's all we know, and it's all that we choose to practice. Because we have different types of communication. Let me give you six basic types of communication. I'm going to fly through these because I don't have a lot of time to dig into this. Here's six basic styles of communication. Uh, number one, there's basic information. Just basic information. What basic information is, is it's, hey, where do you want to go for dinner? You know, 30 minutes later, you still don't know what each other wants. I don't know. What do you want? I don't know. What do you want? Basic information. How is your day? What's going on? How are the kids? Secondly, we have something called partnership communication. Partnership is recognizing that when the two become one, that everything about your life now is partnership and that you're not making decisions separate from one another, but you're empowering each other to, to, to make decisions. And I'll say this. You're not after each other's permission. You're always after each other's unity. Psalms 133, where there's unity, God commands his blessing. And so you have this partnership where you look at parenting, you're looking at the home, you're looking at responsibilities, and you have conversations about that because you're in a partnership. Uh, number three, conflict resolution. I have one couple, I just saw them a, a year ago at a funeral, and when I married them off about 12, 13 years ago, I remember they told me they had been dating for three or four years and not once have they ever fought. And so when I saw them at the funeral, three kids later, they're like, Pastor, we just want to let you know we still haven't fought. And I'm like, you are lying to me. And you know where liars go. Green Bay, that's where they go. And she's like, we haven't. I'm like, you've got three kids. You cannot tell me there's no conflict in this house. You have three boys at that. You can't tell me there's no conflict. But conflict resolution. See, couples that face conflict are not unhealthy. It's the couples that avoid conflict. And couples that are bent around continuing to resolve it and work on it grow. Then there's connection. It's huge in marriage. And we have connection through numbers of ways. We communicate with our voices with connection. But you know that there's more than just verbal connection. Please tell me you know there's more than just verbal connection. You ever get the eye? Or, you ever get the eye? What about the laser eyes? Any of you ever get that? You say something and your spouse looks at you across the room. What about the shoulders dropping down? I remember counseling somebody years ago, and, and his wife was trying to tell him something, and, and she's trying to say, he goes, she's not even saying anything. I'm like, did you look at her shoulders? Just drop down. Gestures. Tone. This is, all, this is all connection. One study shows that during an average meal, a married couple will have 100 points of connection. 100 points. Look for connection. A, third type of, a fifth type of communication, excuse me, is personal revelation. This is the type where you begin to open up to your spouse about your feelings. You're opening up about what's going on on the inside. You're opening up about struggles, what makes you happy, what doesn't make you happy, what pleases your heart, and, and what, what sours the heart. And this is where you start letting people in. This is where you are truly getting into naked and unafraid, naked and unashamed, where I can truly be me with my spouse and let them see into me and me into them, which leads toward number six, which is intimate connection. Expressions of love, words of affection, whispers of I love you. These are statements, number six, are statements that you make to your spouse that you will now allow anybody else to say to your spouse. Personal, intimate communication. These six types are here. Well, what does this have to do with the scripture that we read earlier? I'm glad that you've asked me that question. It says here, don't let any, what's the word, unwholesome talk 
come out of your mouth. What is that? Now, when I, when I grew up with this verse, my youth pastor would utilize this verse to preach against cussing. You know what cussing is? It's words like, I'm not going to say it. He used to just say, no cussing, because the scripture says, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. But actually, let me give you a greater definition. Unwholesome talk is that type of talk that takes away from the wholeness of somebody's life. When you utilize verbiage, tones, mannerisms, in such a way that takes away from someone's connection to the Lord or connection to you, that, my friends, is unwholesome talk. Wholesome talk is that type of language that makes somebody whole, that brings them into wholeness, and it helps them. It helps hold space for them to become whole. It helps communicate in a way that builds people up. I wrote it this way. You have to choose your words carefully because what you say creates reality. Words are like a thermostat. Words don't tell you the temperature of the home. They set the temperature of the home. And when we begin to speak out things that are unwholesome, what we begin to do to the reality of our marriage, the reality of our home, is we create an unwholesome, unhealthy uh, atmosphere for which we can't get connected to God and we absolutely cannot get connected to each other. Our words set the reality. Now notice, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29 says, Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for what? The building up of others according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Now notice it doesn't say, Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building you up according to your needs, that it may benefit you. This is not about you. So when he, tell your neighbor, life isn't all about you. Tell your marriage right now, this marriage is not all about you. Some of you are scared to even say something like that to your spouse. In fact, I had somebody at the climbing gym said, I heard you have a marriage podcast. I'm like, yeah, I want to ask you about something. I'm like, all right. What do you think about happy wife, happy life? I said, I think it's a crock. They go, why would you say that? Like, they're all testing me, like, looking all conspicuous. I said, why do you say that? I'm like, honestly, it does an injustice to my wife to just pacify her just to make her happy. I don't want a happy wife. I want a joyful wife. And I don't want to pacify her because that's disrespectful to her because if something needs to be confronted, I need to confront it. And he goes, I may listen to your podcast now. I'm like, I didn't realize I was in a test at this point. But when it comes to our communication, we're not to have unwholesome talk, and that talk is not to help you. It's actually to benefit others. When it comes to our marriage, I mean, you could take this talk here and think about any relationship in your life. Think about friendships, relationship with your children. This hits every single category, but when it comes to one of the greatest relationships on this earth, being our relationship with our spouse, it's all about them. Because no relationship, no marriage it thrives or is healthy when it's all about one. One person. Your marriage will never survive long term if it's all about you. It's not about you. And if you want your love to grow, love grows where communication flows. Love will flourish where communication is present because healthy communication leads toward wholeness. I've, I've taught this before. Communication, if you want to take down a very simple thought, if you've never been here for a marriage series, I'll give you something that our church has heard for years. Communication is really three things, three simple things. It is timing, it is tone, and it is technique. 
You want to be a good communicator? Timing, tone, and technique. Some of you, you have the right things to say, but when you say it with the wrong tone, you'll ruin it. Or you have the right things to say, but you have the wrong timing. So you, you have something, that, something to, to talk through with your spouse, and all of a sudden your wife walks in the door after a long day, and you hit her with all that information. You've now miscommunicated. Or what about technique, your body language, uh, the mannerisms, the way that you approach? If you look at all of that, that makes up solid communication. And solid communication and healthy communication is what creates vitality in the marriage. I've heard people say that time heals all wounds, but steady communication disinfects them. Time heals all wounds. People stop there, but it can't stop there. Because I've known people who have held grudges against their spouse for a decade. If you want to disinfect the wounds over time, you have to have good communication because it will, it will be the anti-venom of the stuff that's gotten inside of your spirit. So how does this work? How can we help you be better communicators when it comes to this unwholesome talk that gets into our, our lives? I'm going to give you two very simple, practical things. And I need a keyboardist here just to help me uh, feel more dramatic as I speak. So keyboardist, if you come on up. How does this work? I'm going to give you a two-step process that actually will help become a preventative for unwholesome talk. That unwholesome talk that will disconnect people from God and people from you. Here's a preventative. It's this simple. It's checking in and it's checking out. I want you to write those four words down because this will be the preventative measure that will help you from spouting off unwholesome talk. Checking in and checking out. Now, when we talk about checking in, this is what it is. It is literally looking on the inside in that moment and checking into your life. Some of you today, that if you see your spouse maybe kind of traversing through something in their own heart, you see they're kind of dealing with something, I challenge you to do this. Walk up to them and say, hey, I want to check in with you to see what's going on and how you are doing. Or some of you, before a conversation with your spouse, before talking with your husband or your wife, some of you, before you get into that, you need to check in and see what's going on on the inside. Because sometimes we go into conversations carrying things with us that we ought not to carry with us. How many of you, if you just ate a Snickers bar before the conversation, the conversation would not have gotten loud? <laughs> Y'all think I'm kidding. Being hangry is a real thing. Some of you... You've never checked into your emotions, and you had a rough day. Something happened at work. Something happened in the home. Something happened with the kids. Something happened, something happened, something happened. And you need to have a conversation with your spouse, or your spouse approaches you. And instead of checking in and beginning to resolve and find out what's going on in the inside, all of a sudden you take that which is on the inside, and all of a sudden you begin to spew it and begin to attack your spouse, and they never asked or even deserved it. God gave us indicators, like indicators on a car dashboard telling us what's going on under the surface, under the engine. God gave us indicators called our emotions. And some of us need to check in and be clear about where we are at, being clear with ourselves. Because if we're not clear with ourselves, we'll never be clear with other people. And we want clear communication. We want open communication. We want wholesome communication. But it's hard to give wholesome communication if we're not being whole ourselves. We're not looking on the inside. We're not asking deep questions. Why are you feeling this way? Psalm chapter 43, verse 2. It's actually on my wrist. What, what is going on in your soul? What is the turmoil within you? 
Fix your eyes on God. Fix your eyes. I love that question from the psalmist. What is going on? What does that mean? you got to check in. Some of y'all need to check in with yourselves and say, hey, before I go into some communication, before I go into this business meeting, before I go into this interaction with my kids, before I go visit with the teachers at the school, before I do this, before I do this, it's time for us to check in. What is checking in? That's stewardship. What is going on in my soul? And I want to be able to be clear with what I'm dealing with so that I know how to be clear and be wholesome with my spouse. And when we check in, we also have to learn what to check out. I'm not giving you permission to check out on your marriage. But we need to check out from what we believe is keeping us from wholesome communication with our spouse. Because oftentimes, we show up and we're ready to blame. We're ready to be defensive. We're ready to try to be right, whether we're right or not. We're going to hold on to the past. We're ready to not take responsibility. But when we are checking out, we are seeing on what's the, on the inside of us, and we are taking responsibility for it. We're not looking at the inside in order to blame somebody. We're looking on the inside in order to check in and then begin to say, before I have this conversation, I need to check out on my bad attitude. Before I, I go into this conversation with my wife, I'm going to make sure I'm checking out of all the past faults that I'm ready and locked and loaded to attack her with. I need to check out of, of, of all the things that I was ready just to go in an onslaught so that I can be right at all costs. But I'm here to say that if you're right at all costs, it will cost you everything. Check in. You're checking out. It's learning how to check in and look, look on the inside. Because if you don't know how to check in and check out, this is what's going to happen. Is your spouse will walk up to you and will say in the most kind way, is something going on with you? And if you haven't checked in, what you'll hear is, what's wrong with you? Why are you always like this? And they've never said anything like that. And that's why the Spirit of God, I believe, is trying to call us into a place of open communication where we can be naked and unafraid. And the way that we do it is we just check in and begin to realize what Adam and Eve should have realized is, man, I know I've done something wrong. Instead of blaming, I need to own it. I need to take responsibility. I need to learn how to be naked and unafraid again. And so by doing that, I've got to check in and then check out from the serpent. Check out from the blame. Check out from the things that are wanting to take me down into an activity. Some of you need to learn the art of checking out. Something I love teaching couples is I love teaching couples how to take a time out when it comes to their communication. You know what a time out is? Now, now let me just give you a hint. If you put your spouse in time out, you're going to have much, much bigger issues. Do not ever put your spouse in time out. But there's a difference between you need to go and have a breath and recognizing after you're checking in, I need a bit of a, a break. I need a moment. I need something to help calm me down and to remember, truly remember what is the most important thing in this marriage. And like for me, my, my, my go-to timeout, my go-to checkout, that's why I go, I go rock climbing. I do it because I enjoy it, but I do it when I'm stressed out because it helps me relax and to remember what's important. My, my wife, she likes Target. She goes to the, the Mongolia, not Mongolia, what is it? Magnolia, whatever it's called, section. She, she, she loves, she, she'll go and she'll go on walks. I remember it was a few years back that I remember, have, have you ever said something to your spouse and while it's coming out of your mouth, you're having this out-of-body experience where you're trying to grab the words and put them right back in? I remember, I think it was 2018, if I remember right, May of 2018, I looked at her and said, if you worked on this half as hard as I work on this, 
She stood on her toes, got in my face, and she just said, I would like to go for a walk. I'm like, yes, please. <laughs> Half hour, 45 minutes later, she comes back, and honestly, we're both broken. She took some wisdom, recognizing, and instead of perpetuating pain, of looking and, and taking that pain which is on the inside and beginning to take words and to remove the wholeness from an idiot. Instead of taking words and removing the wholeness from our togetherness, taking a simple break, she checked in, immediately said, I need to check out for a few moments. Not from the marriage, not from us, but take a break in that communication to get perspective. And when she walked in, I remember we both just simply, honestly, we were humble with each other. Baby, I took things too far. She goes, oh, I know you did. I need to ask for your forgiveness. I forgive you. She goes, I wasn't really listening to you. I was bent on getting my way. Do you forgive me? I forgive you. I'd love to say that was always the happy story behind every fight that we've ever had. But if I could help you get to the place where we are not taking Ephesians chapter 4 and inflicting that on each other, then we can get to the place where our marriages could thrive because I believe the building block for communities is healthy, godly marriages. We get marriages healthy, we create healthy families, which create healthy neighborhoods, which create healthy communities, healthy schools. The, the layers go out. And when we get healthy men and women, husbands and wives coming together and learning how to, instead of unwholesome talk, we actually do literally what Paul says to do. We start building each other up. Look at what it says. Don't let it come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful. What if you stopped, checked in, and begin to check out from the things that want to infect us and literally try to build others up? Well, what about her building me up or him building me up? Listen, if, if you want it to happen in your home, you take the initiative. Let's stop being middle school about this thing. Well, I'll do it when they do it. Grow up and do it. Build them up according to not your needs, their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Who is listening? Your spouse, your kids, your co-workers, the world. One of the beauties about marriage is that when the two became one in God's presence in Genesis chapter 2, the beauty, I believe, the fullness of the Godhead was seen in that moment. And what the enemy broke up in Genesis 3, he wanted to break up the image of the Godhead and separate them. But when we walk together, we talk well together. We talk wholly together. W-H-O-L-E. We talk with wholeness. We give people the image of the fullness of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Would you bow your heads with me?